Good morning. Our first reading this morning is from the book of Psalm, chapter 8. It can be found on page 535. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of your children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Our second reading, the epistle lesson, is found in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath and that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Our gospel lesson will be found in the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verses 16 through 20. In respect to the gospel, please rise. The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You may be seated. Our text this morning is the gospel lesson in Matthew 28, 16 to 20, especially focusing on those familiar words, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That section, as uh, our reader was uh, sharing and introduced the gospel today, referred to the title that we probably know it best by, and that is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not actually found in the Bible itself, but it's the name that Christians have used to describe what those passages are talking about. Almost all English versions contain those as a heading to the words of today's text. And there's nothing wrong with that heading. It's an accurate description of what is described in the text by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. However, and this might sound a little bit strange, if we focus too narrowly or exclusively on the commission itself, as great as it is, we might lose sight of something even greater. Something that stands behind that great commission in fact, it is a greater co-mission, a combined, a cooperative, and a perfectly coordinated mission, not done by you or I, but done by the three persons of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we talk about the church's mission, we need to remember it is rooted in God's mission as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The mission of the church flows out of God's mission. And the church's mission finds its source and its power in God's mission. And the real key to the church's mission, therefore, is to understand, to confess, and to rejoice that the greatest, or the first and the greatest missionary is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A number of years ago, our church's Commission on Theology prepared a document entitled A Statement of Mission. Its purpose was to help people to think through and better understand the nature and the basis of the church's mission. And this, uh, the outline for my message this morning really is built around four key points in that document. The first point is this, and there'll be four. Now, I know sometimes sermons, you're told there should be two parts, three parts. Seminary says, don't have four, but this one's got four, okay? The first point is, mission begins in the heart of God the Father. Mission begins in the heart of God the Father because it expresses his great love for the world. It is the Lord and his gracious initiative and ongoing activity to save a world that is incapable of saving itself. The very heart of mission has been in the heart of God from all eternity. The Old Testament reading for today that actually, today we use the psalm as the Old Testament reading, but it takes us back to Genesis 1 and 2. And um, this week, I'd invite you to take a look at that. What a wonderful story it is, the account of creation, where God 
He's the only one there in the beginning, right? But then he brings everything into existence. And why did he do it? Because he has love. God's love is ever reaching out. And so the Bible begins not by asking the question, where did God come from? It simply says God was there. He always is. He has no beginning. He has no end. But in the beginning of this world and all that we know, the three persons of the Trinity were working together. We certainly think of God the Father with the work of creation. But then we also hear that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. And how did God bring the world into existence? Simply by speaking, let there be. And he brought everything into being. And John in his gospel tells us that the word was with God and the word was God. That word that took on human flesh, namely God the Son. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all active at creation and again, God's love pouring out on his creation. But then we know what happened in Genesis chapter 3. It contains the tragic story of humanity's fall into sin. But with it, God's love. Because there was his first promise to send a Savior and showing that God was active in mission from the very beginning. In fact, according to Ephesians chapter 1, God's missionary plan began even before that. For Paul, as he writes to the Ephesians, says that God chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That's mind-boggling. But how comforting it is to each of us as we believe that promise. And over and over again, the Bible portrays God the Father as a seeking God, an ascending God. And because God the Father's seeking, searching love for the lost, he sent his Son into the world in order that the world might be saved through him. You know, God the Father is always seeking the lost. We can think about Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells us three wonderful parables about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost, actually two lost sons. But God takes the initiative. God goes looking. He goes seeking until he finds the one who is lost. That's his love for each individual one. Martin Luther beautifully portrays this father's love in stanzas four and five of his hymn, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice. I want to share here two verses. But God had seen my wretched state before the world's foundation, and mindful of his mercies great, he planned for my salvation. He turned to me a father's heart. He did not choose the easy part, but gave his dearest treasure. God said to his beloved son, it's time to have compassion. Then go, bright jewel of my crown, and bring to all salvation. From sin and sorrow set, me, set them free. Slay bitter death for them that they may live with you forever. Our second point about God's mission is that God's mission centers in God the Son, 
that is, Jesus Christ. God the Father did not seek to carry out his mission from a distance in order to save the world. He didn't do it by the sheer force or power of his divine will, but his missionary plan depended rather upon the compassion and the willing cooperation of God the Son. As Luther said, the Son obeyed his Father's will, was born a virgin mother, and God's good pleasure to fulfill, he came to be my brother. You know, the Bible from beginning to end always keeps pointing us and focusing our attention on Jesus. He is the promised Messiah who was sent by the Father to reconcile the world to himself through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus was very God of very God, as we confess in the Nicene Creed. And at the same time, he was fully and truly human. By his life, he perfectly satisfied all the demands of God's law. He never sinned, even in the smallest way. And by his suffering and death on the cross, he took upon himself all of our sins and paid for them in full. He suffered the wrath of God over sin for all of us. And he crushed the head of the devil. And he opened wide the gates of heaven. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus sealed the victory over sin, death, and the devil. You know, today, we find in our world many bewildering descriptions, and I would say of false gospels that are being trumpeted in our world. How important it is that in the church, we steadfastly hold to one confession that there is salvation in no other name given among men under heaven. We need to announce to everyone the sure and certain good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, when we think about that passage, it tells us again something most incredible about God. God is both exclusive and he is inclusive. He is inclusive that he loves the whole world, sinful and fallen though it is, and he loves every sinner in this world. But he offers salvation in only one way, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is truly the only way of salvation. Even as Jesus described himself saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. People need to know Jesus in order to find salvation. Our third point is that God's mission is empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Just as the Father sent the Son, and as the Son humbly and lovingly carried out the will of the Father, so now the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit as their third missionary partner in God's great plan for our salvation. You know, sometimes people get the idea, and last Sunday we celebrated Pentecost Sunday, when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and the tongues of fire. I'm sure you remember that from last week. 
You know, sometimes people think, well, the Holy Spirit wasn't busy. He wasn't doing anything until Pentecost. But that's not true at all. As I've already mentioned, the Holy Spirit was active at creation. He was hovering. He was brooding over God's creation. He was present and active. And certainly throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets. The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Throughout the Old Testament, people had faith. How did they get faith? The Holy Spirit worked that faith into their hearts through the word of God announced and proclaimed through the prophets. Certainly the Holy Spirit was also manifested Jesus' baptism when he descended from on high and, uh, and in the form of a dove. And then on Pentecost, he, he filled and empowered the church. Jesus had told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of my Father comes upon you. That was the Holy Spirit. And 10 days after Jesus had ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came mightily, equipping the disciples to go into all the world and to preach the good news of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is the one who continues that ongoing work. And he continues to enable God's people today to confess and to profess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's that ongoing work of the Holy Spirit that is so vital to God's missionary efforts. It is through the word and sacraments that the Holy Spirit, as Luther describes it, calls, gathers, and whitens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. The Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life. Without him, no one could believe in Jesus, confess Christ, or bear witness to him. And because the Holy Spirit's work and presence in our lives, in, in, or because of the Holy Spirit's work and presence in our lives and in the church, that's a great comfort. We need never feel overwhelmed or discouraged by the size of the task, the fierceness of the enemy, or the weakness of those who serve. Why not? Because the Holy Spirit is with us. In fact, he dwells within us. He is the one who empowers us for our work in God's mission. And yes, that brings us to our first, fourth point. God's mission also, finally, is our mission. Only when we understand that the triune God was the first and greatest missionary, will we properly understand the church's role and our role in God's mission and be able to participate in it properly and joyfully and confidently. We share in God's mission. We share according to the various vocations in which he has placed us. Are you a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, an employer, a worker, whatever you are, whatever gifts and talents you have been given by the Lord, we are encouraged to use them to serve others, whether it is in speaking or if it is in what we do with our hands or our feet. We use the gifts we have to show the love and compassion of God 
to those who are around us. We share in God's mission, for he equips each of us with the appropriate and needed gifts. What a joy it is for your congregation this next week to have Vacation Bible School. Think about all the different people who are involved in that. Think about all the talents and abilities that God has given them. What a joy that we can take and share those with children, that we can encourage them in their Christian faith and to know the great love that Jesus has for them. You know, the Lord has called the church into existence, and he carries out his mission in and through the church, despite many imperfections. And so we humbly thank and praise him, continually claiming for ourselves that same gospel message, that same good news that we proclaim to others. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people uh, 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 for God's own possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for his awesome, gracious, and ongoing missionary work begun before the beginning of time and continuing in and through us as we carry out his great commission. Don't trust in yourself to fulfill it, but in him as you seek to share that good news, that good news of the Father's love in Jesus Christ with others in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.